pray, ask God's favor over his word, and I cannot wait to teach you what he has taught me. Abba Father, thank you for each person that's here. Absolutely no one is here by coincidence or anything like that. This is your divine appointment. And I'm asking in the name of your son that your word be clear and that your word speak deeply to each person that's here. Thank you that faith, hope, and love are real. We anchor into these things. And I'm asking right now for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, we have gone through this series. We've already, we've already covered all these topics from caring for the unprotected and how that when you study the prophets in the Old Testament, when you study the New Testament, Jesus is radically committed to protecting those people who are abused, abused politically, and abused in religion. Uh, some of the most angry words ever spoken by Jesus in the New Testament are directed at religious leaders, people who abuse people in the name of God. Jesus has no tolerance for that. That's a zero tolerance policy. And also, he confronts people who uh, politically abuse and think that they have a right to do so. Uh, confession, repentance, evangelism. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel. Faith, fasting, fellowship, all these things. Um, today, I'm going to conclude with intimacy with God and how we draw near what the New Testament, the Old Testament says about intimacy with God. And I want to begin by reading from the book of Jeremiah. So everyone turn to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. And I'm going to use Jeremiah 23 to springboard into the main text that I'll be teaching this morning. So quick setting of the scene in Jeremiah. Uh, when, you, when you read Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is split in two essentially. And the first half is preparing Israel that the Assyrians are coming to bring tremendous judgment on them because they've turned to idols and they have a horrific national problem with idolatry and God raises up the Assyrians to bring punishment to Israel. They repent just in the nick of time and the Assyrians go back north. Well, the second half of Isaiah says, well, listen, you didn't turn from those ways of idols and worshiping blocks of wood, inlaid gold or silver. You're still refusing to follow my word, so okay, the big thing's coming, now it's Babylon. And they're going to be coming way from the east to bring judgment on Israel and Jerusalem. You remember the story of the great Babylonian captivity and they destroyed, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And when you get to Jeremiah, it, it takes up that very same thing. Jeremiah is saying, Israel... You've got to repent. Warning, storm warning. The sirens are going off. Babylon is coming. You have got to repent and turn from your idols. And so right in the middle of Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah is pleading with Israel to turn away from their false gods. And then look what it said, chapter 23, verse 23. This is Jeremiah giving hope to a nation that is about to face horrific judgment. Jeremiah says, Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a person hide himself in hiding places 
so that I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? Jeremiah is simply saying, I'm, God is right here, right now with us. God desires intimacy with us. God desires to have from the depths of our heart and everything that is inside of us, an amazing, close, intimate relationship with us as people. God longs for that. God wants that. Uh, a word in the New Testament that's pretty common is called fellowship. You could think of friendship would be another way to look at that. God is near. He is not far away. Now let's develop that. I want everybody to turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And this is where we're going to really focus today. Psalm 139 and about intimacy with God. Jeremiah said, I'm near. I'm not far away. I'm close. I see everything. I feel the heavens. I feel the earth. This is a psalm by David. The Lord, he says, Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. Okay, those, those two terms are very, very special. They're terms of relationship. Hakar, you have, you have sought me out. You look deeply inside of me. You seek me out. You have known me, yada in Hebrew. What's going on inside of you is not a mystery to God. Okay. What's going on inside of you, what's going on inside of me is not a mystery to God. You know when I sit down, when I get up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. And you're acquainted. Some of you might have translations that intimately acquainted or well acquainted with all of my ways. Sakan in Hebrew, an extremely important word. Can you get this? When it says you're acquainted with me, it means this. It means I know everything about you and I'm committed to taking what's inside of you and literally helping you benefit from that. I have a heart for you, not a heart against you. Jeremiah 29, I have plans for you, says the Lord. Isaiah 48, 17, I want to teach you to profit. I want you to prosper. But you have got to turn away from your idols, all right? God is acquainted with us for our good. For our good. Even before there was a word on my tongue, behold, behold Lord, you knew it all. Can you imagine being around a mind reader? You know? Um, when, I, when I do therapy with my clients, you know, I... Sometimes I've got to rent a tow truck to try to get something out of them. You know, like, come on. And if I were a mind reader, it would be easy. I would just know their thoughts. But I'm not. <laughs> Nobody is, by the way. No one is clairvoyant, and that's actually a, a type of mental illness. What do you think you are? A mind reader. We won't go there. But God is. <laughs> There's not a thought in your head that God doesn't know. He knows it all. In fact... He knows your thoughts before you even say them. That's how much knowledge God has of you. Kids, try to draw a picture of that. Try to draw a brain so smart that he knows everything about you. 
try to do that. That'd be, that would be a hard picture to draw. But see what you can do with that. And then in very Jewish terms, uh, David speaks spatially, you know, either in, you're out, it's up or down. He said, look, you've encircled me behind and in front. You placed your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't comprehend it. David, David's saying, I can barely get my mind around how well you know me. All right. Um, let's talk just for a little bit about shame. Um, someone real quick, give me some feedback. What is shame? What is shame? And shame relates to fear and anxiety. What is shame, young lady? Yes, you are so smart. Yeah, where sometimes we feel shame because we've sinned. Sometimes we feel shame because uh, we gave the wrong answer in class or something. It's not really a moral issue, ethical issue. We just made a mistake and we're embarrassed. Sometimes we're ashamed because we have a giant pimple right here. And it's just so embarrassing when you got a pimple the size of a grape on your forehead or your nose. And it's, ah, oh, we feel all this shame or... Or something like that. You know, you're, you're going to play baseball and you strike out and you feel ashamed. Um, shame is a really powerful uh, drive in the human soul. And shame has everything to do with relationships. Okay. For example, if you are riddled with shame and the anxiety and fear inside of you is just crushing, do you want to be with people? What do you normally do when you experience shame? You see, privacy, typically. Now, some people delight in telling all their mind, but when you really are, are experiencing true shame, you naturally want to hide. Adam and Eve, the sin. God comes for intimacy, fellowship. Walk with them in the cool of the garden, right? The beauty of the morning. Can you imagine walking with God, holding God's hand in the garden? Can you imagine? All right. And what are Adam and Eve doing? They're hiding because they're ashamed, right? And when you have shame, what's one of the most intuitive things you do when you experience shame? You hide. You hide, but you don't just hide yourself. You're right. And I I want you to speak up. This is good. This is how we do it at Christ Church, just like Paul would do it. We cover it up. Fig leaves. Like, that'll work, right? God can't see through fig leaves, right? I'll hide. And I'll get behind a little bush and God won't see me. I'm covered in fig leaves and there's no way, right? And our, our little human brains entertain the, entertain the idea when we have shame that we can hide physically, just leave the room, uh, cover yourself in fig leaves, you know, hide under a blanket, do something. But the thing is, even when our shame is that deep and that real, you cannot hide from God. God sees through fig leaves. God can see you in the bushes. You've encircled me. Behind, in front, top, everywhere. You placed your hand on me. It's like your hands on my shoulders, on my back. I can barely get my mind. So where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? When we have shame, we want to run from the presence of God. And what, what does God want us to do when we have shame? Run to him. Run to him, not run away from him. 
run to him. So David pushes this. So if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is a Hebrew variation on the idea of hell. If I make my bed in the highest heaven, if I make my bed, my hiding place in the lowest hell, behold, you are there. I can't go anywhere without God finding me. If I take up the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will take hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. There's nothing going on in your life that God doesn't know about. Nothing. And what is a, what is a, a beautiful thing for us to settle up between our ears that for God to know everything about you, he still loves you in the deepest way. He loves you. All right. Um, In the average marriage, the average marriage, no wife will ever tell her husband everything that's inside her heart. There's no way. No husband will tell everything in his heart to his wife. Why? Real question, why? Why would that be the case? Not everything is appropriate. Not everything is appropriate, not as important. What else? Shame. Shame, absolutely shame, yeah. Anything else? Fear. What's that? Fear. Fear, absolutely. Fear of being misunderstood. Yeah. Change the perception of how you see your spouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you, when you go to the deepest levels of communication, like what John Powell developed, um, when you go to level one, the deepest, most transparent point, point of communication between husband and wife, it's gut-wrenching to be that vulnerable. And a lot of us, quite frankly, are terrified of vulnerability. It scares us. Because if we really get out there who we really are, and what our fears are, and what we worry about, <clears throat> and how a particular quality about us, our, our, our physical form, our personalities, whatever, that we struggle, we have lots of shame with, to be vulnerable about those things is terrifying. And so we gloss over a whole lot of stuff. That's in the average marriage. And I know there's no average marriages here. I know that. You all are wonderful. So... All right, let's push it. What about God? When you struggle with what is inside of you, if you can resolve, settle it, the way Paul did. Paul said in Romans 5.8. Can someone quote Romans 5.8? You know this. God showed his love for us while we were yet sinners. Can I put some modern vernacular on that? God loved us in the purest way 
while we were the most jacked up, goofed up, messed up people that you could find, God still loves us with a deep purity that is unfailing. God wants intimacy with us. You know what he wants from us? Vulnerability. You know the heart that God, the heart that kind of blocks intimacy with God? You know what it is? A dishonest heart. A deceitful, dishonest heart will block intimacy with God. All right? Now, can you, can you hear the irony in what I just told you? We're going to hide something from God. <laughs> We're going to go full fig leaf and hide from God something. God says, well, I already know it all. That deep nasty that nobody knows about. That stupid nasty that nobody knows about. Yeah, that stuff. God knows it all. And he still wants you to be vulnerable with him. He wants you to trust him. Because dishonesty and pride will block intimacy with God. Now David, it's like he's getting it. He is dialing this thing in. Verse 13. For you created my innermost parts. And you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Some translations say fearfully. Awesomely is actually more more accurate in Hebrew. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. Wow. That we got to park there for just a minute. Guess what? I hear this in clinic all the time. Rachel, I know you do too. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the truth of God's word and how we should have a biblical view of ourselves and see ourselves through God's eyes. And you know what they all say, or not all, most all say, they say, well, that applies to others, but not me. You know, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. No, that applies to somebody else, not me. And they struggle with a broken sense of self and broken self-esteem. David said, my soul knows it very well. Christ Church, everyone that's here, those listening online, those will be tracking the podcast later. Would you please, please do yourself a massive theological favor and settle this in your heart? That this is a good thing to be known and loved by God. Your soul needs to know this. It's healing. It's a wonderful thing to be made by God. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my my formless substance and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. Your thoughts, your Precious, how precious are your thoughts for me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. Uh, Do you remember the story in the New Testament where Jesus says there was a, a, a king who decided to settle accounts with all of his servants? And he called a slave and he said, I want you to pay up. You owe me 10,000 talents. Do you remember how he crunched the numbers on that? 
that that's an absurd number? It's totally absurd, right? And then, and then his friend, forgiven the radical debt, goes and chokes his buddy for, you know, a couple of grand, kind of thing, right? David is doing the very same thing. How precious are your thoughts to me? If I could count them, they would outnumber the sand of the sea, the sand. What is he saying? I, I want a response. What do you think he means by that? The number of precious thoughts that God has toward me would outnumber sand and the grains of sand. What is David saying? Can't count as many thoughts as he has toward you, as many good thoughts as he has toward you. You can't count them. Can't count them. Okay, what else? Somebody else? Anything else? Yes, yes, absolutely, Ben. Thank you for saying that. Out of the mouth of kids. I love it. I love it. Um, David is saying that if you attempted to count them, you would fail. You can't do it. And if your soul knows this very well, you lean into it. You settle into the fact that the love that God has for you is beyond what you can comprehend. His love for you is so radical that it's more than grains of sand and that you've got to settle this and that God's heart for you is pure and beautiful. Now, were I to count them, they would under the sand and when I awake, I'm still with you. Intimacy with God, how beautiful. Now, we're about to deal with something that's going to be a little tough. Okay? Now, because of my commitment to Scripture, I don't skim over the tough stuff. We hit it hard with no compromising. All of God's Word is God's Word. If only you would put to death the wicked. It's like, whoa, we were talking the sweetest, most gentle, loving. We had a hallmark moment. It was so beautiful. And now we're going full on Terminator. What's the deal? If only you would put the wicked to death, God. Leave me, you men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? Wow, what is that doing in Psalm 139? It's like, it was all this beautiful stuff. You know me, intimacy with God, the sweetest fellowship possible. And all of a sudden, we're talking about wicked people dying. And God said, I, I hate the bad people just like you do. In our house, uh, little Isaiah has, has coined a phrase, phrase under the coaching of their dad. If you're going to see a, a movie on TV, or not a movie, but a cartoon, and the kids shows and all this stuff, and Bluey and all that, thank God for Bluey. Um, <laughs> You've got goodies and you've got baddies. Okay. Goodies and baddies is what Isaiah says. Mommy, daddy, are they baddies? Yeah, they're a baddie. Ooh, we don't like baddies. Look what he's doing. Do I not hate those you hate, Lord? You hate the baddies. I hate the baddies too. Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? In fact, he says this. I hate them with the utmost hatred they have become my enemies. That's hard. That's hard. Do you want to know what David's doing? 
You ready, Christ Church, for the truth? He's choosing sides. Which is something that we're, that if you, ouch, here's the ouch moment. You ready? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you're committed to God's word, you can't go woke. You've got to choose sides. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. If God says it's right, it's right. There's no woke. There's no blurry, ominous, weird thing in the middle. There's no middle thing. You can't go woke and be committed to God's word. It, it doesn't work that way. And you've got to choose sides. Yes, Yeah, your truth doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you do you. You, you do your truth. No. The word of God is truth. Listen, Jordan Peterson, that dude, he may be an undercover Christian. He, you know what I'm Scott? Did you see his little clip about the Bible is truth? Is that not amazing? He's, listen, that guy, he gets at some things. He, essentially, this is what Peterson has said. This is so much truth right here that all truth is judged against this. The word of God is literally the standard by which all things are judged. Ready? Let's make this count. Let's make this count. You have got to choose sides. And if God says that person is my enemy. You can't say they're your friend. I know that's hard. I know that. Let's put it another way. You can't sit at the same table that Jesus is trying to flip. Does this make sense? Okay. So if you want the depths of intimacy with God, you want to know his heart because he already knows yours, right? And you want to walk in obedience out of a love relationship with Jesus. You can, but that will always force you to make decisions that are hard. And you have to choose sides. You can't be mushy, wokey, neutral. Verse 23, look what he does. Look what he does. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. He said that at the very first verse. He said right at the beginning. Lord you've searched me. And you've known me. Lord you have searched me. And you've known me. From that perspective. It, for us it's like. Ooh that's a little ten- that's a little intense. God knowing you that intimately. Can't hide from him. But then in the last section. He says. God, I want more of your searching. The thing I was afraid of, I now want. Search me, God. Know me, God. For a lot of us, we are afraid to have that level of intimacy with God. And the beginning of the psalm, it's pretty intimidating. He reads your mind. He reads your heart. And yet at the end, he's saying, I want it. Give me more of you. Anybody here been disappointed by Instagram? <laughs> You're tired of the drug. 
that leaves you half-hearted, half-empty, and half-brained. It just dries something up inside of you. If you would dare to drink from the well of intimacy with God and vulnerability with God, being searched and known wouldn't scare you. You'd say, God, I want more of you. The thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. You come. You have come to give me life. Search me. Know my heart. Put me to the test. Know my anxious thoughts. In Hebrew, seraph. Um, Lee, it means to be a divided, it's a divided heart. It's like you're, you got this choice or that choice, and you're, you're stuck. Do I go left? Do I go right? Is what it means. The anxious, the unsettled, you've not resolved it. You've got to make a choice, and you're anxious about it. See if there's any hurtful way in me. Heart, it can be translated as you've hurt me and I have hurt in me. Or it can mean I have hurt you. I'm a hurtful person. Or I have been hurt. Regardless, regardless of how that, that word can be taken for us right now. If you have trauma and there's hurt in you, you need to be vulnerable with that to God. If you are giving the trauma, you need to deal with that with God. And you need to be searched out and known intimately by God. And when that happens, you are led in the way that is everlasting. And it is beautiful. Intimacy with God. Christ Church, you're the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is in you if you're born again. You're gifted. Uh, what is the significance of Psalm 139 for us today? And how do we move out of David's world into our world right now so that we know this really well, we've settled it, and we're living out and we're going to walk in the way that is everlasting? Christ Church, how do we live this out? What do you say? Stephen, let me know if there's somebody online that has a question. So you began talking about Isaiah, and uh, that's calling Judah back because they're gone astray. I read this this morning, and it, it just basically saying, what are you bringing into my courts? You know, it's just a bunch Legal of language, yeah. I'm not hearing, I'm not listening to that. And he goes through all that, he says, this is what you need to do. Then he, in verse 18, he says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And then this part here. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, everything is a choice. So, you have to choose. Do we want to enjoy the food or be the food? <laughs> exactly. You know, and, exactly. And it comes down to, I think that's in that middle part. What David is saying here, there's all this noise of the world. Yeah. You know, that if we as believers, as you know, the holy ones of God, yeah. 
we, yeah, we're faced with that every day. Yeah. Are you going to join it or are you going to yeah. say, I can't be a part of it? Wow, that's so good, Lee. Thank you. Someone else, why or how do we live out the reality of Psalm 139 today? We're the body of Christ. Because when we look at Psalm 139, I was thinking about Psalm 37, where you have that famous quote from David, delight yourself in the Lord and the reign yeah. of the desires of your heart. And it, the way that he describes his relationship with God is very fluid. Yes, it's all about God, you know me, you know me, and all this stuff. You know, and he, he does the examination at the beginning, and you know me, continue to do that. There's a continuation of his relationship and that examination. And when I look at that in comparison to Psalm 37, you know, he's giving a instruction, you know, delight and uh, trust in the Lord and do good. And that fluidity is almost like a reaction to or a response to. So the intimacy that I have with God, that we have with God, brings out a desire to know what he knows, love what he loves, hate what he hates, and it allows us to understand his heart a little bit more. Are we going to know him? Nope. Grains of sand. We're never going to know the fullness of God because he's God, but he invites us into those moments, to that life that we have, that we take those opportunities to be able to experience Mm. in that relationship with him. That is so good, Pat. Someone else living at Psalm 139 for us today. Chris, I think David's an interesting biblical character because he's the warrior poet. Yeah. He conquers a bunch, but at this time he's probably in a cave hiding yeah. from Saul's men. <laughs> yeah. And he's got the foxhole mentality, kind of, yeah. I could die at any moment. And so I'm thinking deeply on God, but also the enemy's right near me. So... Yeah. Um, and I think as Christians, we have the spirit of discernment, um, which is just crucial to relationships with others. And I think Jesus does it best um, when there's non-believers that he knows their heart is kind and gentle, and he's gentle with them, yeah. like the Samaritan woman. Yes. Um, but then there's also people who should know the law, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he gives them no grace. He just yeah. rebukes them. Yeah. Which is a terrifying thought that the God yeah. of the universe condemns yeah. people. Yeah. But we have to have discernment with people in the world. Are they open to Jesus or are they against Jesus? Yeah. And if that's the case, you need to know how to respond in those situations. Absolutely. Philip, you've spoken really wisely, and I appreciate that. Um, Jeremiah seventeen nine: The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? In Hebrew, uh, the heart is so sick, so ill, it's beyond curing. It's so damaged. Absolutely. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes, that is so good, Lisa. And I see you living that out too, by the way. So there is a man struggling with shame. His name is Nicodemus. And there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, head came at night. <laughs> there's some shame. Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you, you do unless God is with him. Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, I almost imagine Nicodemus wanted to engage in some theology. Explain yourself to me, Jesus. Jesus doesn't go for that. And he says, Nick, unless you're born again, you're not going to see God. Nicodemus struggling with that because he's a man of shame and he's a man full of religion. How can a person be born when he's old? He cannot enter at his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Nicodemus responds, how can these things be? And then Jesus hits him hard because there's a deceitful heart and there's a dishonest heart here. Jesus says to him, you are the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things. You want to feel what shame feels like? How about that one, buddy? You're supposed to be the guy with the answers. One of the leading rabbis for Israel, the nation, not just local rabbi. And you don't understand these things. Truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. And we testify what we've seen. And you people do not accept the testimony of me nor my disciples. If I tell you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can I tell you about heavenly things and you believe? Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world but so that the world might be saved through him. Let me repeat that. God did not send the son into the world to judge the world let me put that in some modern vernacular. God did not come in, into the world and has no delight in shaming you and chasing you off into the bushes where you're going to be tempted to grab some fig leaves. That's not why he came. He came because he loves you. And he wants intimacy with you. He wants you to know what it's like to be one with God. But when you have a heart of deceit and when you have a heart of pride and you have a heart of dis dishonesty, that will block it. It won't come to life because you're withholding your heart from God. 
And that if you would open up your heart and you would believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and that he was crucified as full payment for the guilt of our sins and you believe in your heart that he is the son of God, you will be born again and you will know the eternal life that Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus. The one who believes in him is not judged, he's protected. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Let me tie it off with this. That big nasty, that little nasty, that thing deep inside of you, and maybe there's a thousand of them, that you attach so much shame to that the idea of transparency, vulnerability, and honesty, we just ain't going there. If that's you, right. and you play that out, you know who wins? Satan. The enemy wants you to stay and live and think in a state of shame. God wants you to know everlasting life. He wants you to know the grace of forgiveness. There's nothing you have done that's going to scare God away. Nothing. And so the idea of hiding and avoiding and, and all this stuff does not create intimacy with God at all. You're safe. That's why he sent his son. I want to pray over you. Father, thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for everybody that's here and the truth of your word. Stir hearts, Father, to obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much.